The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures. Stamping problems. You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space contemplating Ireland through the community. This created by Carl Sinn. The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Okay. Good afternoon. Uh, and very big welcome to uh, our guest speaker, uh, Dr. Aaron Gentry Lamb, uh, but also to uh, you as participants in this seminar. Um, I am a professor of geriatric medicine and gerontology, uh, and I co-chair the Medical and Health Humanities Initiative in the Trinity Long Room Hub with Professor Mary Cosgrove uh, from the Department of German Studies. And this has been the longest running seminar series in Ireland on medical and health humanities. Uh, our aim is to create an environment which fertilizes and synergizes and catalyzes uh, scholarship between uh, healthcare and arts and humanities. Uh, I also co-chair, I chair at the moment, a working group from the Irish Humanities Alliance, which is trying to further develop the platform within Ireland of how we can work together and uh, generate increasing interest in this most important area of areas in um, in understanding the human condition, understanding what health is, what illness is, and uh, encounters with the um, health system. So uh, it's been a very enriching journey and uh, we've had uh, an outstanding uh, series of speakers over the um, uh, more than a decade that we've been working and really pleased now to introduce to you Dr. Aaron Gentry Lamb, who's the faculty lead of the Humanities Pathway of the School of Medicine and Associate Professor at Department of Bioethics at School of Medicine uh, in Case Western Reserve University. Um, this is a, a really important role and she's co-directing, for example, undergraduate bioethics and medical humanities and previously had served as the director of the Centre for Literature and Medicine and the Herbert and Pauline Wentz Andrews Professor of Biomedical Humanities at Hiram College, home to North America's first uh, baccalaureate major in health humanities. So our interests include ageing, death and dying, disability, healthcare and social justice, new biotechnologies and pedagogy. Uh, she's uh, written many articles and chapters, and I think uh, her uh, co-editing of um, research methods in the health humanities has certainly attracted a lot of attention. And I think allows us to think through what, uh, you know, what's in a name in any way and how we describe what we're doing in terms of uh, research and education. So uh, with that, I'd be delighted uh, for to look forward to this talk. The commentary and questions and answers on uh, we, we have to go with the technology we have are through the questions and answers uh, button down on Zoom. So uh, please put in any questions and answers or indeed as a comment in the Q&A. Uh, we won't be using the chat for that. So Dr. Lamb. Thank you very much for that generous introduction. Uh, I'm going to start by pulling up my slides. Um, is everyone able to see? Okay. We can see everything, yeah. 
Um, if anything happens with my sound or video, please, please speak up and let me know. Um, and at this point in the pandemic, I think we probably all have our Zoom setups. Um, mine involves two screens. So please forgive me if I'm looking above you um, for much of it. That's where I have my, my, my notes written to myself. Um, it is really an honor to be with you today. And thank you very much for this opportunity, Des. Um, my background is going to actually end up being a part of this talk, but I'll let you know that I, I've been trained in literature um, and I spent you know, most of my career in a small liberal arts college teaching undergraduate students. And my move to the School of Medicine at Case Western happened in January of 2020. So right before COVID started. Um, and this has been a fairly big shift because now I'm still working with undergraduates, but I'm also teaching medical students, masters and PhD students as well. And it's been really enjoyable, but I'm getting to see a different side of the health humanities than I had been a part of previously. Um, so uh, the talk today uh, does ask me to focus on research methods in, in health humanities. Um, and I think this is supposed to be a relatively easy talk to deliver because um, I, I co-edited a book on research methods in health humanities that came out from Oxford University Press in 2019. Um, that said, I've, I've struggled with how to approach this talk. And this is because after the, the long and fumbling process that led to the book, I can say with some conviction that there aren't any truly unique research methods in health humanities. So rather than elucidate what isn't there, I want to use the book and the idea of research methods in order to think about the past, present, and future of medical or health humanities. And what I'll be presenting is a, a view that's situated by um, you know, my own location. So uh, an American looking at health humanities from North American perspective and know that um, if there's an opportunity, what I am really interested in is, is plumbing from you how things might look very differently in the Irish context. So um, as sort of a brief overview, I plan to talk about um, how the book came to be and what, that, what we learned from that, what the book can tell us about medical and health humanities today, um, and what is useful that we can carry forward um, in terms of our you know, scholarship and research in the field. So um, before I dig into that, um, I want to take just a couple of minutes to talk about nomenclature or at least the terms that I'll be using. Um, as the chosen name for your group suggests, um, you have taken the, the both and approach with medical humanities and health humanities, which I think is great. Um, I believe that, that these terms refer to distinct entities and that each have their place in the field. I know that in the US we've had some um, contentious debates at times about what, what term should be used. Um, my own personal take is that the term medical humanities uh, is a product of the historical formalization of the field. So in the US, people tend to point to um, the inclusion of humanities professionals in medical education, most notably beginning in the 1960s and 1970s as, as the start of medical humanities. And I think that's a very appropriate term um, for looking at humanities work within medical education or the healthcare professions. Uh, but I think the term health humanities signals some important shifts that have happened in, in recent decades. Most notably, a recognition that health is about far more than medicine. So in fact, to quote from um, the almost right word, the move from medical to health humanities, 
medicine is only a minor determinant of health in human populations alongside other social factors such as class, education, occupation, environment, race, and stigma. So for me, the term health humanities decenters medicine and healthcare and signals a much broader focus for the field. One that includes uh, the social determinants of health and the way that identity, belief, and human interaction shape health, etc. I think that the shift from medical to health humanities also honors all the ways that health humanities takes place outside of medical education and healthcare. Um, and thus, I see health humanities as the, the bigger, more inclusive umbrella. So I will tend to use health humanities as a catch-all term because I think that medical humanities fits within it. And, and you may well understand or use these terms differently. And if so, I would love to have that discussion later. Um, also by way of preface, um, a big umbrella raises questions about just who is sheltering beneath it. So what, what is it that counts as health humanities? And, and here too, I think there is lots of room for disagreement, but I'll, I'll share my take. Um, I think at its most basic level, health humanities is about whomever identifies as a health humanist. It's about who shows up at conferences, publishes in journals, teaches the ideas, etc. cetera. Um, but this group includes people coming out of a really wide array of disciplines and backgrounds. So that the health humanities reader suggests that the field is comprised of scholars in traditional humanities fields, in the qualitative social sciences, in the fine and performing arts, and in the emerging interdisciplinary areas of study and critique. Um, I think it's kind of interesting that the reader doesn't mention um, that we also have many, many scholars from medicine and the health professions who, who are part of this. Um, I think that's a group that we cannot leave out. Um, we should also recognize that there is health humanities work done in collaboration with colleagues from the natural sciences. Uh, this list is not comprehensive, and certainly I don't think it captures um, the increasingly cross-cultural and global focus of much health humanities work. Uh, but still, given just how broad this umbrella is, it raises the question, like, what possible coherency can such a diverse field have? And that's something that I, I plan to remark to address in my remarks today um, by way of research methods in health humanities. So I'll move on to part one here, which is how research methods in health humanities came to be uh, and what we learned along the way. And the, the we behind the book includes my co-editor, Craig Klugman, who is a professor of health sciences. Um, his background is primarily in bioethics and medical anthropology um, at DePaul University. I'll say that over the course of, of my career, I've been fairly invested in seeing health humanities grow into its own recognized field, because selfishly, that means more programs, more jobs, more conferences, more publishing opportunities, and, and more chances to do what I am passionate about. I think this is very true for Craig as well. And Craig and I had multiple conversations over a number of years about what we were seeing developing in the field and what was missing. And I'll say we saw what we might loosely define as a growing canon of texts, making arguments about what the field is and what it offers, what belongs within it, and what it means to teach in the field. What we were not seeing, however, beyond specialized pursuits like narrative medicine, was attention to method. And our interest in method was quite practical. Um, to launch educational programs, particularly at any level above the baccalaureate level, you have to be able to talk about the methods that you'll be imparting to students. So Craig had tried to mount a master's program in health humanities at DePaul, 
but it was ultimately rejected by the administration, in part because it wasn't clear what methods the students would be taught. So Craig and I decided, okay, there's a need. Why not? Let's try it. So we put out a call for papers. Oops. Uh-oh, I am missing a slide here. Um, apologies about that. Um, okay, well, there was a call for papers. Um, and we, I'll say, we, we addressed the volume of seeking to seeking, quote, to add to the growing literature on what health humanities is and why it's valuable by asking the question, how do we do health humanities? Um, and this we soon realized was really naive as a question because we received all sorts of really fascinating proposals, um, but many of them, perhaps the majority of them, didn't seem to be about research. Arguably, the most interesting things um, and particularly in the most unique things that health humanists do are, for back, lack of a better word, um, interventions that we stage with students and with practitioners and with communities. So think poetry workshops for patients or interprofessional narrative medicine sessions or graphic medicine exercises with undergrads. These were really cool, but not what we had in mind. So we had to retool a bit to figure out just what we meant by research. Um, and realized that we probably should have defined that in the first place. So we use the operational definition of a research method as a technique or process that one uses in order to generate original knowledge, understanding, or insight. Um, honestly, I'm not sure just how much that definition clarified things. Um, I think the process was somewhat more akin to American Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart's take on pornography where he says, I can't really define it, but I know it when I see it. To add to the complications, um, I think we have to acknowledge that the humanities really aren't as clear about methods as are the social sciences. So in my current position, I've inherited an undergraduate survey course initially created by a psychological anthropologist that's called Perspectives on Health, Introduction to Medical Humanities and Social Medicine. And the course is a whirlwind overview of multiple disciplines that address health. And it's roughly divided into three sections. Um, the first looks at group level perspectives. The second looks at individual level perspectives. And the third section, uh, which is sort of a catch-all, is sort of humanities and arts perspectives. And for each discipline that gets introduced, students are asked to submit a, a discipline sheet where, they're, um, where they need to identify key theories in the, in the discipline, methods, and what data looks like in each discipline. Um, and this is where it becomes very clear that the class was created by a social scientist, because it is um, far easier to speak to methods and data um, from some disciplines than it is from, from others. So students who major in a social science may well be required to take a methods course. Uh, in the humanities, and especially the arts, it varies far more. We don't tend to talk about data. Uh, our publications don't typically include a, a methods section. Right? Reproducibility is not a goal, but a problem, because that means somebody has already made your argument. So I was trained in literature. I had to take genre classes in, in poetry, the novel, and I had to cover breadth, like medieval and renaissance, like British Victorian, early American, etc. And I took theory courses, like cultural studies, post-colonialism. But I never had a methods course. And if you asked me, um, by what method I wrote my dissertation, 
I'm sure I had some job market ready answer at the time, but my inner version would be like, uh, I read stuff closely and think about it. And then I write about it. Um, so all of this is to say that in undertaking this project, we faced several challenges. Um, what disciplines and approaches count as health humanities? And how do we get people to teach others research methods when they might be hard put to articulate their own methodology? So vague parameters though we had, uh, we ended up with a wide range of proposals and narrowing them down to make a volume of affordable size, which was a key goal for us, um, involved some uncomfortable choices and the need to keep questioning our assumptions about just what health humanities is, um, what relationship it has to bioethics, for example. This is the table of contents for the volume. And I'll say that what you see here is only a small subset of the diverse methods that exist within the field. We don't make any claims towards comprehensiveness. In one sense, I think the book is an argument meant to invigorate further conversation in the field. Um, we struggled with the logic of how to divide the chapters, and we proposed different versions to different publishers. But in the end, we settled on four sections, which end up mapping somewhat to the humanities and the social sciences. So the first section is, is texts, emphasizing how central close reading and textual engagement are to much of the work in health humanities. So this section offers chapters explaining aspects of close reading, um, as well as chapters that are focusing on particular kinds of texts like films or comics or archives. The second section is, is context, wherein each chapter represents a different move to connect health humanities with other complex and are often already interdisciplinary critical discourses like social justice studies, age studies, disability studies, digital humanities. The third section focuses on people um, and explores the methods that health humanists use to do research with live subjects. From standards like ethnography and interviewing to more unique approaches like community dialogue or using fiction writing as a research method. And that final section on program assessment is a nod toward all those proposals for interventions that we received. We wanna be able to say that these are meaningful and worthwhile activities. So how can we conduct research on these applied interventions in order to be able to make these kinds of claims more persuasively? That final section uh, is likely of greater interest to health humanists than it is to students. That said, I'll suggest that you keep in mind the possibility that adding an evaluative component to applied interventions can be a valuable way to turn activism and creative endeavors into research. Um, I'll say too that the basic structure of each of these chapters uh, is to lay out a method in small, very followable steps. Um, when I look at things like, like denotation or connotation or metaphor analysis, which you know form the basis of much of the work that I was doing you know, while studying literature, um, boy, would it have been useful to have a textbook like this and to have somebody sit down and actually try to explain, like, when you do this, what is it that you are doing? What are you paying attention to? So I think that the book is um, particularly useful for people coming from all sorts of disciplines. Um, it's aimed at a upper level baccalaureate or, or very early graduate student sort of population. Um, so my hope at least is that it reads very easily um, and, and very practically. I'll say that in the end, we learned that a whole lot of research methods fit very happily within health humanities. 
And we also learned that the key way to identify a health humanities research method is if someone who calls themselves a health humanist is using it. That's not terribly helpful. However, through this process, Craig and I did develop some larger arguments about just what health humanities as a field is and what sets it apart from medical humanities and humanities and medicine. And I'm gonna share some of these briefly with you. Um, the first two aspects go hand in hand and, and mirror why I favor the term health humanities. So health humanities focuses our attention on health, which is broader than just medicine. Um, in medical humanities, the focus is frequently on the patient-provider relationship and the clinical encounter. And thus health is often viewed within the boundaries of medicine. Health humanities views health and medicine as cultural enterprises that occur in societies, cultures, and systems. So medicine is only one determinant of health within populations and a fairly minor one at that given other social factors. Um, fields like public health, medical sociology and medical anthropology have been focusing on the social determinants of health for years. Just last week at the American Society for Bioethics and Humanities Conference, uh, I heard a great plenary about the political determinants of health and why we need to keep pushing our critical views to structures and policies. So the holistic view of health that the social sciences bring is central to how health humanities is developing as a field, um, even though it may not seem at first to be so included in the term health humanities. Um, so the third um, point that we make about the field um, is that health humanities is an applied enterprise and it doesn't shy away from calling itself applied. Much of the work in this field is about applying scholarship and innovative programming in order to change the way the world is working. And the goals could be small, something like helping pre-health students to communicate better, or they can be large, like breaking down racial and sexual barriers to accessing equivalent healthcare. Usually these changes are done hand in hand with key stakeholders. Um, so I like to think at least that health humanists don't force their visions on others, um, but engage with communities in order to identify concerns and empower them to enact change towards greater social justice. Um, another one of our key findings is that health humanities is united not by method, but by values. So, you know, as I said, our, our foray into research methods suggested that um, whole lots of research methods have a home within health humanities. Some are very easily recognizable within traditional disciplines and others are perhaps more uniquely interdisciplinary. But we argue what's shared among the many diverse practitioners and practices of health humanities is a common spirit, for lack of a better word. Um, and the spirit comes in large part from, and I'm quoting here from the intro to the Health Humanities Reader, the intellectual practice of the humanities, which enables and encourages fearless questioning of representations of caregivers and patients in all their varieties, challenges abuses of power and authority, and steadfastly refuses to accept the boundaries that science sets between biology and culture. There's some things I might quibble with in that, but um, I'll just say that I think that the spirit of health humanities is not just about understanding human experiences of health and healthcare, but it's also about wielding a persistent voice of critique and working explicitly towards social justice. Uh, we see health humanities as a strongly mission-driven field, 
united by a shared commitment to social justice, which infiltrates not only health humanities teaching and practice, but also health humanities research. And sort of one final take on the field is that um, because of the diversity of methods and the common concern with social justice that runs through them, uh, and the focus on many of these methods on translating the results of research into more equitable health for all, um, that's led us to a fifth theme that characterizes health humanities as a transdisciplinary field. So the health humanities reader calls health humanities an inter and multidisciplinary field. And this is probably the most common way that the field gets represented. While it may be different within Europe, um, within the US, transdisciplinary is perhaps more of a buzzword than it is a clear and specific concept at this point. Um, although I understand that it, it may be um, used with, with far more exactitude in, in parts of Europe. But many visualizations of transdisciplinarity seek to convey the idea of convergence, as you see in this graphic. It suggests that um, a disciplinary approach to inquiry is like a silo, self-contained with discrete content. A multidisciplinary approach would bring several different distinct disciplinary approaches to a common topic. They may converse, but they don't fundamentally alter their approach. Then as you move into interdisciplinary inquiry, you begin to have not only common topics of research um, or common topics of inquiry, but methods that get shared between disciplines or hybrid methods that get created. And with transdisciplinarity, apparently you have mixed and mingled so much that you can't pick out any separate disciplinary threads anymore. I think one of the more compelling definitions of transdisciplinarity that I found comes out of the environmental sciences. So it suggests that most transdisciplinary research projects combine scientific research with the building of decision-making capacity for the involved stakeholders. These projects usually deal with complex, societally relevant real-world problems. Knowledge and values from outside the realm of science are integrated into the research process. And at the same time, the research process is opened up to stakeholders aiming at a mutual learning process. So for me, this description speaks to the commitment that whether we're analyzing texts or people, the focus of health humanities research is on complex, societally relevant real world problems. Um, health humanities research involves stakeholders from outside the realm of academia, patients, practitioners, communities. Um, it does not simply re reside in an ivory tower. And many of the methods that are described in the textbook are explicit about not only about involving those outside stakeholders, but also about transmitting the findings of that research back to the groups or participants that are being studied. Um, and this translational drive of health humanities research is one key product of the field's emphasis on social justice. So ultimately, um, although method may not be the key route to formalizing the field of health humanities, we continue to believe that health humanities is a coherent and growing field. Um, so on that note, um, I want to lay out a few more of what I see as, as the markers of health humanities as a dis definable, recognizable field. Um, these would be the things we point to when, like Justice Potter Stewart, we say, I know health humanities when I see it. I'll say that my view, however, is heavily shaped by my perspective as an American working within the American higher education system. So as I share these markers with you, I hope that you'll make note of what resonates with you, what seems surprising or foreign, 
and what I've left out. And if you're open to it in the Q&A, I realize that the webinar format may make this more challenging. Um, I would really love to know about how medical and health humanities is developing as a field within Ireland. So I'll say that um, if you tell an origin story for health humanities in the United States, it will almost certainly point to that inclusion of humanities disciplines and approaches within medical education in the mid to late 20th century um, as a starting point, growing slowly over the decades and, and perhaps painfully slowly. Um, but one marker of health humanities as a field involves finally formal recognition of the value of health humanities in medical education. So in December of just last year, the American Association of Medical Colleges, which is the, the key body that oversees medical education, put out a report as part of their fundamental role of arts and humanities in medical education or FRAME initiative, where they state unequivocally that, quote, the AAMC believes the arts and the humanities can play a unique and unrealized role in preparing and equipping physicians for 21st century challenges. So I'll suggest that practitioners in the health humanities who have been fulfilling and advocating for this role for decades might find the description of their efforts as unrealized somewhat frustrating. Um, but still, the AAMC's overt support in this step um, is, is definitely a move in the right direction um, and one that will gain, I think, more access to, to publishing within medical education journals, for example. Um, another key article or key marker that I would point to is the growth of health humanities beyond health professions education. So in, in recent decades, we have seen the field reach far beyond health professions education, and particularly we've seen it blossom at the baccalaureate level. So along with my colleague, Sarah Berry, um, I've been mapping the rise of health humanities majors, minors, certificates, and concentrations within US baccalaureate institutions. And this graph shows the steep rise in programs over the past two decades. There are also an increasing number of master's programs and now three PhD programs in health or medical humanities, which means that there are growing opportunities for students who want to continue to study health humanities after college without doing so through first becoming a healthcare professional. Um, another marker is that we have recognized journals and book series that are central to the discipline. Um, from the American standpoint, those key journals are likely the Journal of Medical Humanities and uh, BMJ Medical Humanities, with literature and medicine reaching a more narrow audience. Um, there are certainly other journals, and I would love to know what key journals you all look to when you're publishing your health humanities work. Um, I've listed here just some of the dedicated book series that I know of. I'm certain that there are more. I think what's interesting is that many of these, like Bloomsbury's or Lehigh University's and Peter Lang's, have come out just in the last year or two. So this seems to be also an increasing trend in seeing these opportunities for putting out more scholarship in the field. Um, yet another marker are the number of organizations popping up globally, networks that connect people, hold conferences, et cetera. Um, in the United States, most of the folks doing this work found their colleagues in the Society for Health and Human Values, which was a group that was founded in 1969 and it merged with the American Association for Bioethics and the Society for Bioethics Consultation in 1998 to form the American Society for Bioethics and Humanities, or, or ASBH. Um, and the health humanities presence at ASBH grew to the point where it chafed against the society's predominant focus on bioethics, and particularly its very expensive membership and conference fees, 
which priced out many humanities scholars. So in 2015, a group split off from ASBH to form the Health Humanities Consortium. Um, and this was following the model of the UK's International Health Humanities Network, which was founded in 2011, and more recent organizations like the Canadian Association of Health Humanities, Medical and Health Humanities Africa, um, and the Australasian Health and Medical Humanities Network, which has been especially um, active uh, in the last year. So a few months ago, I stepped into a, a three-year term as co-chair of the Health Humanities Consortium. And so I'm gonna use this opportunity to shill for the organization for a moment. Um, I'll say that the HHC conference is by far my very favorite conference every year. Um, it's small, perhaps about 250 people, which makes for really excellent networking, but it's sizable enough to have great content. And our 2022 conference will be virtual. It's being co-hosted by three institutions, uh, the Center for Health Humanities at the Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences, the Center for Literature and Medicine at Hiram College, and the Health Medicine and Society Program at Lehigh University. Uh, the conference theme will be spaces of or for health humanities. Um, and this is a theme that is written broadly enough that um, creative people such as yourselves could make most any topic fit within it. I would really love to encourage you all to send in an abstract. Um, these are due on October 31st. Uh, I'd also would encourage you to consider joining the Health Hum listserv. You don't need to be a member of, of the consortium to join the listserv. Um, it has about a thousand members and it receives many calls for papers, job listings, uh, but also crowdsourced questions, publications, etc. And you can access registration for the listserv um, and more information about the upcoming conference from the HHC website, healthhumaniditiesconsortium.com. Uh, one of the other great things about the Health Humanities Consortium Conference is that the, uh, the, the, the conference fee tends to be much, much smaller than um, it does for something like ASBH. So it should be a fairly affordable as well as enjoyable conference. So having looked a little at the state of the field, um, I wanna leave you with a few thoughts or suggestions about how I see health humanities enabling exciting research moving forward. Um, and I'll go ahead and say that these points are perhaps laughably broad, um, but I'm suggesting them as a fundamental orientation for scholars working in the field. So, so this is what I see happening already and what I hope I will continue to see. And you may fundamentally disagree with my analysis or suggestions and I heartily invite you to do so. Um, so here's the first of those three trends in health humanities scholarship. So the first one I think is that health humanities research does not need to be about developing expertise. Because health humanities is not united by method and because it contains so many diverse practitioners with training and so many disciplines, expertise looks very different. I don't think anyone can claim to be an expert health humanist uh, because what would that even look like? I think this can be very freeing and that the focus of health humanities research is not on advancing the state of the field, but on the questions that you're asking, the real world problems that you are seeking to solve. So when we teach trainees how to research, I think it's less important to teach clear research methods than it is to teach students how to go from their curiosity, interests, and observations to posing a good researchable question and then critically appraising different methods at hand for trying to answer that question. 
you can pick and choose among methods without clear boundary markers because you're not working to meet the standards of a unified discipline that determines what efforts are legitimate and what efforts are not. Instead, you're working to meet the standards of a group of scholars that want to know why your research matters and what difference it can make towards creating a more equitable health experiences for all. So this on a quite related note leads to a second point, which is that um, in health humanities research, I think that um, this move away from expertise offers an invitation to step outside of one's comfort zone and focus instead on the guiding question. Um, so it is okay to, to dabble. This may mean a lot of fumbling and steep learning curves and perhaps very valid accusations of being a dilettante, but why not? And so what? So part of the reason that I moved from a small liberal arts college into a medical school, especially when I love baccalaureate education, was to seek out new challenges. And, and I'll say I have found them amid a whole lot of culture shock. I mentioned before the AAMC's FRAME initiative. As part of that initiative, they offered a small grant competition looking for people to propose projects to evaluate the value of arts and humanities and medical education i.e. can we prove that it's effective like we think it is? So words like evaluate and prove tend to raise my hackles because how are we supposed to quantify things like perspective or empathy? Um, and often many of the things that we do when we teach humanities and medical education, you know, we imagine that the benefits of these are going to be something that's realized over years. Um, and how do you begin to measure those? But, I really do believe that the arts and humanities offer important things, even if I want to call them intangibles. So I applied for a grant, uh, admittedly largely because my, do, my new dean told me that I should. Um, I've been teaching about death and dying for some time and believe that we need physicians who are more comfortable with and capable of talking to patients about death and options for their dying. So I teamed up with a pediatric resident with an interest in palliative care, and obviously a whole lot more knowledge in med ed than I have. And we proposed to create a humanities-based death and dying elective for some of the second year medical students, and then a standardized patient exam for all of the M2 students where um, they're evaluated based on their ability to converse with a dying patient. Um, and the goal of these were determining both how well the current curriculum prepares students and whether the intervention, the elective, has any significant effect on student performance or with their comfort in that kind of ambiguous situation. I'll say that it has been a steep learning curve uh, to get a sense of how med ed works. I filed my very first IRB application, so the internal review board for, you know, making sure that this, your research is all ethical. Um, I filed my first one uh, earlier this year. That was a many months long process. In a couple of weeks, I'll be test piloting the standardized patient exam. I have never taken one of those. Um, I am a fish out of water. And frequently I wonder what the heck it is I think I'm doing. But then I stop and say, well, why not? Um, everyone who does this kind of research has to learn the skills somewhere. And I at least know enough to recognize the things that I don't know. Um, I have the opportunity to translate what I do know and care about into something of measurable value so that others will know and care about it too. And I'll do that with collaborators. And for me, that's very motivating. And it brings me to my third point, which is that I see health humanities research as wholly open to collaboration. Collaborative scholarship may well be the norm for many of you, um, depending on your disciplinary training. 
For someone like me trained in literature, I was taught that the road to success lies through writing a monograph, right? a solo authored book, um, and that solo authored publications are the only ones that really count. I find health humanities infinitely more welcoming. You know, because of the multidisciplinary nature of most formal health humanities programs and the transdisciplinary nature of health humanities research, the work invites, if not necessitates, being in conversation with diverse colleagues, which is an opportunity to take your scholarship places you may never have imagined. So I'm pretty sure that I've not actually shared any great wisdom here, but I've tried to offer an opportunity to see health humanities, particularly at the present moment, through my own situated perspective. You are absolutely welcome to raise whatever questions you want. Um, if you don't happen to have any, however, then I have some that I would like to put out there based on my own curiosity and, and my own desire to take advantage of this opportunity uh, to speak with, with scholars in, in another location. Um, so my questions for you, if you don't have any, are these. Um, how has health or medical humanities developed within Ireland? Um, what does it look like? Who's doing it? What kinds of outputs are associated with it? Where did it start and where has it spread and what factors are facilitating its spread? Things like you know, this group and its, its regular meetings. Um, how is the work being done in Ireland connecting with work being done in other parts of the world? So how is it networked? Uh, I'm curious to know what you think is unique or important about research and research methods in the health or medical humanities. And where do you see health or medical humanities headed? Um, and so with that, I will close. Um, and, and Des and Courtney, I don't know if it's better, should I stop sharing my screen or is it better to leave these questions up? Please let me know your, what, your thoughts on that. Okay, well, first of all, uh, Aaron, thanks very much for uh, a superb overview. Uh, and again, a very in a very platonic fashion, um, keeping on reminding us that it's actually asking the right questions uh, rather than trying to provide the uh, right answers. Now, I think those slides are nice to put up. I'm going to put into the um, chat for everybody, again, just in case there is anybody who's not aware, is um, there is uh, an overview of medical humanities and medical and health humanities in Ireland, which comes from the Irish Humanities Alliance, which brings together the humanities and arts faculties of um, a, a great many of the higher education institutions in Ireland, uh, universities predominantly. Uh, and we've just repeated the exercise of surveying and uh, we're about to look at launching that next month. Indeed, it might potentially be a nice abstract for your conference in March. So I'll discuss that with the, uh, with the, um, head of uh, the the, the uh, project leader there in uh, Mel Farrell in the Irish Humanities Alliance. Um, I think the answer is, is that it's still very much uh, divided among a, a wide range of practitioners from a wide range of institutions uh, to a certain extent where finance and funding comes from, particularly in terms of research and scholarship grants, as determined some of perhaps the strengths. And the uh, Wellcome Foundation, uh, traditionally, although it is it is moving and changing, has uh, had always had a strong emphasis on medical history. So, um, and there's a number of projects and a centre in Ireland around medical history. And then the uh, the other side would be around bioethics. So history and bioethics probably 
um, have been the strongest traditionally. And there is, I suppose, but uh, uh, certainly a very much an increased and variegated um, uh, range. And certainly um, a collaboration, for example, uh, between institutions is probably somewhat lower than it might be. Uh, but, for example, I'm happy to be part of a collaboration that looks at uh, reframing ageing involving uh, two of the three uh, universities in Dublin, uh, UCD and Trinity College Dublin, which is welcome uh, funded. And uh, we've had um, uh, from our humanities, the research council, uh, certainly between myself and the University of Limerick, uh, which has the um, World Irish World Academy of Music and has the centres for such, such elements as music therapy. Um, a wide range of practitioners, uh, healthcare, not just doctors. Um, I think we, we've we've undertaken, as you may have seen, analyses of the you know who who is writing and to what degree are they uh, working with or acknowledging others, the scholars' courtesy in in in, in acknowledgements, uh, and it will appear that there still is a very strong tradition of um, uh, single discipline, single institution, uh, single disciplinary attachment. Um, uh, authorship uh, and it's something which I think uh, probably uh, needs uh, to be worked on uh, more. So I, uh, our, our aim certainly through um, the Irish Humanities Alliance, if I can speak, and also in the Trinity Long Room Hub is to continue to try and develop um, linkages, networks, so that people will continue to work um, across across transdisciplinary, interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary, um, with in terms of again terms and techniques, it's interesting. Our Irish Research Council held two workshops on how humanities, arts, and science, and healthcare would work better together, and both workshops came up with a text. I'm sure you're aware of uh, Callard and Fitzgerald's rethinking interdisciplinarity in social sciences and neurosciences. And that's been, I think it's probably been, um, uh, I, I think it catches some of the elements of your talk is where, you know, you start out with dilettantism. And again, it's uh, both uh, Adorno and Nietzsche thought that part of Wagner's success arose out of dilettantism. So, uh, you know, it's it, 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 it's got its positive side as well. Um, and uh, the the idea that you're 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 probed in the fundamentals of what you think are the truths is probably a very key part. And I think that the, the formula we had come up with is that for successful uh, transdisciplinary or interdisciplinary work, you've got to have a, the right balance of academic security and academic humility. And um, they're the kind of um, elements. So. I'll just see if any, uh, the Q&A, we've got a Q&A uh, from Paul O'Connor. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Aaron. I'm wondering, does our understanding of the development of medical health humanities as an academic research field benefit from asking where the legal humanities, uh, the fiscal humanities, the built environment humanities, isn't there something about health humanities, especially uh, perhaps as practitioners, but with a very captive audience, does lead us to these inquiries more than other fields? Uh, Good capitalist humanities. 
Good. So built environment, humanities, legal humanities. Yeah, I, I, interesting, interesting. Uh, I, I have a grant at the moment for around architecture and design, and I think it's the first one possibly in Ireland. So, yeah, these it, it, the umbrella is a big umbrella. Aaron, your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, um, Paul, what a cool, cool question, because you're putting together words that, um, you know, I think people don't often put together capitalist humanities. Um, you know, like people already chafe at the idea of applied humanities, but capitalist humanities, it's sort of like an oxymoron, I think, probably for, for, for many people. And yet what you're pointing to, I think are the same things if we were to talk about like the political determinants of health, right? The, the legal humanities, the fiscal humanities, built environment humanities, these are all like structural approaches to, to health humanities. And I think for me, that's part of the move from, from medical to health humanities is that we really have to pay attention to the way all of those structures and policies um, affect people's experiences and what can happen in, you know, in the medical encounter. Um, now I, just yesterday, um, I was meeting with a small group of M2 students at Cases Medical School. They have a, the humanities are, are most encapsulated in what they call these Tuesday morning seminars or the students sometimes refer to them as touchy-feely Tuesdays. Um, and the, the conversation yesterday was on high value care, um, which is just full of really problematic euphemistic language. Um, like it's really about all the different ways that our very, very messed up American medical system um, makes it impossible for patients to get care. And it's putting the responsibility on physicians to be able to navigate patients through like the fact that different pharmacies are going to charge different prices for the same medication, or that your surgery may cost this much at this institution versus this much at another institution. Um, you know, it's, we have an utterly ridiculous system. And, and students, you know, who are training to be in this, like you can see them already chafing. You can see where burnout comes from because um, you can see already that they anticipate the moral injury that these structures will, will cause. Um, but the language there was like, we have to learn the patient's values, right? Which is sort of ridiculous because um, their values are everybody wants good care. You know, it's not that they want good care they can afford. That's what they have to do. Um, all of this is just say, I think the humanities have such important roles in critiquing um, you know, all these fiscal aspects of, of health. Um, and I think certainly, well, I haven't really heard people talking about legal humanities or fiscal humanities so much. Um, certainly attention to the built environment is something that has been, you know, we've been seeing more and more, but I just wanna say how perfect um, such a, a proposal could be for the Health Humanities Consortium Conference, spaces of, you know, and for health humanities, um, take us there put in a proposal about capitalist humanities. I would love to see that. And I imagine so would, so would all of the attendees. Um, I hope that's addressed your question. I'm not sure if it did, but um, thank you. Really fun and generative to get to think about. Can I come back to you? And it's interesting. One of the things that you mentioned, it's not about developing expertise, but could I, I, I think that there is an expertise, maybe it's kind of a meta expertise in terms of the ability uh, to manage the interactions, uh, also to stress test against um, against against other theories. I mean, one of the this area I have I'm challenged about sometimes is where people in the humanities and arts they write this really fantastic um, 
closely read piece around an experience. And then they upset the tenor by making some kind of man a straw argument about how this is dealt with. Uh, I mean, the cl the classic one is, you know, that medical students now have become more impersonal and less caring, you know, and you're going, uh, hello, no, I, I uh, show me where you found that out, you know. So it's, it's how to demolish, um, it's how to create an environment where you feel you're not. So I do think there's an expertise about managing um, almost kind of an intellectual proofreading uh, or, or, or if it's to be queried, to be ensured that it is queried. So I think there is an expertise. Okay, I can, I can see your point. Um, I'll go back to the point that I think expertise lies in recognizing what you don't know and in identifying the interlocutors that you need um, to push you and to push you towards those directions for what you don't know. Um, and that uh, who can possibly be responsible for so many diverse disciplines? I mean, I absolutely hate teaching that survey course because I invite a lot of guest speakers in because who am I to, argue, to lecture about health economics, right? I can give a sort of overview kind of picture, but certainly if it were um, anything above the level of undergrads, who would do that, right? But at least understanding where to go to find um, valid information or someone who can point you to like, these are the key arguments that you should be engaging with. Um, for me, that's it's its own sort of expertise that is um, valuable enough. I mean, I, I realize that I may be in part defending um, my own career path, which <laughs> it has been taking me in, 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 in very new directions um, where I'm not really standing on firm ground. Um, but it's also so freeing and exciting to, to be able to believe that I can follow the idea where it leads. Um, and I'm networked enough to talk with other people who can help me make sure that as I'm developing these ideas, I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't have huge blind spots right there. I'm in conversation with enough people that they can help uh, point me to the things that I ought to know. Well, I'd, I'd nearly counter by saying you, you, the, the, the chapter outline you gave of the book showed an extraordinary sense of an expertise around trying to begin to describe uh, the caravan that we're all on here. So it's um, you raised a really interesting point to, uh, you, you know, um, I think it's the, one of the Gospels they talk is uh, where their treasure is, there also will be their heart. And it's the issue of uh, membership fees and conference fees. Uh, the huge differential often between healthcare conferences, um, where very often part of what they're doing is creating a reservoir of funding uh, as well for um, for the ongoing support of the of the of the organization, uh, but also they're looking at groups of people that very often have some form of CME or CPD allowance. So. Whereas in in humanities and arts conferences, it's done on on a very different uh, basis, and 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 it is a barrier, and a barrier that that troubles me certainly, because if we want cultural gerontology on my side or our medical and health humanities to be mainstreamed into healthcare. Um, there there is an economic barrier very often for humanities and arts scholars uh, to engage. And present in these arena. Amen. Um, 
<laughs> so, you know, I am, so I'm, I'm chairing the Health Humanities Consortium and I've just finished a year um, chairing the program planning committee for ASBH, which I mean, although it's not healthcare writ large, right? So many of the participants in ASBH are, are clinical bioethicists, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got, and, and, and that is a conference that offers continuing medical education, right? Yeah. Um, the management between these two organizations is so different. ASBH has a professional, you know, um, professional group that manages the whole organization and the conference. And it's really amazing that people take care of so much of that behind the scenes work. Cause on the other side with the health humanities consortium, like we're just in there down and dirty having to make everything work. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a lot more, a lot more work and input, but the conference will be like a quarter of, of, the, of, of, the, of the cost of, of what it is to yeah. attend ASBH. And, and that's very purposeful, right? Because we want to make it accessible to people, especially at the moment with COVID, so many people don't have institutional support, particularly within the, the humanities. Um, and yes, I think see that as a key barrier. And you're talking about aging, right? I mean, I as a student, I belong to the GSA. And then once I graduated, um, like, well, because age is a key interest, right? But I'm like, I'm not gonna go. That's <laughs> ridiculously expensive. Um, and so, you know, we've tried to create age studies as a field. So the North American Network in Age Studies, the European Network in Age Studies, this is a place where, where humanists and, and you know cultural derontologists can all hang out to talk about aging. Uh, and yet it's really hard to get the same kind of um, funding, support, attention, et cetera, right? Yeah. Um, this is actually one reason why I think um, many people in age studies have been turning to health humanities. Um, because health humanities presents a an, like an easier, a lower threshold to be able to do the kind of work that you want to do in a way that is is recognizable by others. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we've nearly got to the hour. We could probably keep going for another hour. I'm really, really appreciative to Erin for her talk. It's given me huge food for thought, as I'm sure as to all our other participants. And uh, indeed, I hope we might see some abstracts going into the uh, conference in March. Uh, Certainly, we'll be sending some in. Uh, So a big thank you. Uh, And we'll keep you all posted about our next talk. We've had uh, an unexpected uh, withdrawal for our November uh, seminar in January. It will be uh, one of the key leaders in the development of um, medical humanities in uh, in the UK, uh, Jane McNaughton from Durham University. Uh, and we hope to have a, a substitute talk for November. So once again, thanks to Aaron and thanks to Courtney supporting us at the Trinity Long Room Hub. And hopefully we'll be seeing each other uh, next month. The hub is Thank a you. community. Goodbye. Manuscript, book and print thanks. cultures, stamping provenance towards the history of the Time of Year Library. As well as being heard. The Hub is a space contemplating Ireland through the communities created by Coral The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Here's to the next 10 years.